Amen. Thank you. That's a beautiful song. Let's take our Bibles this morning, open to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I have to say this morning, I'm pretty proud of myself. Um, many of you know uh, my wife and my daughters are down in Georgia at my niece's. They went down for a bridal shower, so it's just me and my boys. And I'm very proud that all of my boys are here today, and they're all dressed. So, um, yes. <laughs> What's that? Yes, and they're, they're wearing shoes. Yes, they're wearing shoes. Um, I'm not sure if they're dressed in the right clothes, but they are dressed, and they are here. So I am just, I'm very proud of myself today. So um, that's great. Let me just say, I cannot wait for my wife to get home. That's, that's, yes, and it's only been like two days, I think. It's like, I think they left on Thursday. So yeah, amen. I know that's exactly how I feel. That's exactly how I feel. Yes. All right. In Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we uh, started looking at chapter 4 last week. We looked at the first three verses uh, where Paul speaks about walking worthy. He says we are to walk worthy of our vocation uh, that God has called us to and how important it is that we walk worthy for the Lord uh, because obviously when we think about what Jesus Christ has done for us, um, I really love what he says and what Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 12. Um, where he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. And the last part of the verse says, which is your reasonable service. Anything that God asks of us is not unreasonable. Anything. Anything that he would ask for you and me to do is not unreasonable when you think of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that's why he's saying, walk worthy. Walk worthy. When you think about what Jesus Christ has done, we ought to desire to walk worthy for him. But at the same time, we also, as we saw last week, we want to walk worthy because there are those from the outside who are looking at us. They're looking to see, are we truly genuine? Are we real in what we say we believe? We say we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We say we're Christians. Does our actions match our speech? And as we continue here this morning in verse number four, he says, there is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Father, I do pray that you would just bless this morning through your word and uh, Lord, I really, when we just think about what you have done, Lord, there is nothing that is unreasonable that we should not be willing to do for you. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would just uh, work in our hearts this morning through your word. Uh, Lord, just help us to be yielded to what you'd have for us. And Lord, just thank you for the great singing this morning, just lifting up the name of Jesus, just helping us to think of, of him and what he's done for us. And uh, Lord, I pray this morning that we would just be yielded to what you would have for us through your word. Bless now in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm not sure if you notice that there is a word in verse number four, five, and six that is used repeatedly. Anybody notice what that word was? What was the word? One. That's right. The word was one. It's repeated through verse number four, verse number five, verse number six, right? Um, 
in what we're going to be looking at this morning as, he, again, he's just told us in, in the verse number one, we are to walk worthy, and he begins to explain how we are to able to do that, right? Um, and he says in verse number four, five, and six, we are to walk in unity. We are to walk in unity as believers, as Christians, right? When we think about what he's done for us and, uh, and others because they're watching how we live, he says we are to walk in unity, as believers, as Christians, we're to walk in unity. Now, what is unity? What is unity? Well, Webster's 1828 dictionary describes unity as the state of being one or agreement. The state of being one or agreement. Unity, we know, does not come naturally. Does not come naturally um, in anything. <laughs> Doesn't come naturally in anything, right? Um, but one thing we also must understand about unity is that unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity, right? Uh, and we can be very thankful that God in unity, in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, in unity, but yet we see that they are very much for uh, diversity, if we could say. Uh, aren't you glad there's more than just one color flower, right? Right? Uh, aren't you glad that there is more than just one type of animal in the world, right? Um, I'm not sure how evolutionists would have done that if there was only one type of animal in the world, but anyway. Um, but there's more, right? We have many different types of animals. Aren't you glad there's, uh, there's more than, uh, you know, not everybody looks the same. Praise God for that, right? Praise God, yes. Um, look at the person next to you and say, I'm glad you're not like me. Well, that's not very nice. Why would you say that? Oh, because I told you to, right? <laughs> you see, when we think about this, again, every, every part of our body, if you think about our physical body, every part is different. Even though you might, have, uh, you might have 10 fingers, all 10 of those fingers are different. You might have two thumbs, but both thumbs are different. They're not the, the same, although they are both thumbs. Every part of our body is different. And in the same way, every part of the body of Christ is different, yet we all make up the body. We all make up the body. Yes, we can look at one another and we say, boy, I'm glad I'm not like you. But remember, they're saying they're glad they're not like you either, right? Um, we're different, and that's good, right? That's, that's important that we are different and we have differences in things. But there can still be unity. We all have our own opinions and our preferences, yet Paul says that in the church, the body of Christ, this body of believers that he's speaking about, we must endeavor to keep unity. We saw that in, in verse number three last week, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, okay? Uh, again, if you understand how the devil works, the devil doesn't always attack the church and believers from the outside. The greatest weapon that the devil uses to attack the church and other believers is other believers. If he can get divisiveness among the believers and he can get the church fighting against itself, he really doesn't have to do much of anything. And that's why Paul is, is pleading here. He's writing for unity. And, and we think about this in 1 Corinthians 1.10. He says, Now I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. He says, I, I want, it's so important that we, we think the same way. 
Now, again, when we're talking about thinking the same way, we're not meaning that everybody has to, to think the same way as far as where they're going to work or what they're going to wear or where they're going to go on vacation. That's not what he's saying. Remember, when we look at the first three chapters of Ephesians, he's talking about the spiritual heart of man. And it says our, our heart must be spiritually in tune with God. We're looking, we're seeing the way God wants us to see so that we can be what God wants us to be. And when I'm looking the way God wants me to look, I'm seeing the way God wants me to see, then I'm going to think the way God wants me to think spiritually, right? We're going to realize that, hey, life is not just about this world. Life is not just about all the enjoyment and, and things here. No, we have eternity before us, and we must think eternal, not just temporal. And so Paul is saying, hey, I want you to be of the, the same mind, Again, there's no greater way to destroy the work of God than to cause the body to be divisive. And that's why we have to constantly work to keep unity. Or else, if we don't, the devil's just going to have his way among the body. He'll use jealousy, pride, criticism, complaints, dislikes. He'll use anything he can to cause division. Anything he can to cause the, the body to be uh, divisive and, and fighting against each other. But remember last week we saw in the book of John that the Lord Jesus in John chapter 17, he prayed for spiritual oneness in the church. He prays for spiritual oneness in the church before the world. He says, I'm praying that they may be one as we are one, that the world may know. His desire is for believers, those who claim the name of Jesus Christ, to, to be in unity. It's a oneness of fellowship through a oneness of faith. And we're going to look at some of these things that he says here this morning. It's interesting, when you look at the number one here, in verse number four, five, and six, he uses the word one seven times. And of course, if we... Understand the number seven is the number of perfection. It's the number of perfection. And I don't think it's just by coincidence that he lists seven things here. And we're going to look at these seven things because he's desiring that we walk in unity. To walk in unity. Every time we see this word one, there is to be a oneness. There is to be a unity here. There's oneness, right? So watch what he says. He says in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. So we're working to keep the unity. Well, how do we do this? In what areas do we need to have unity? Notice he says in verse number 4, there is one body. One body. The members of this body are pretty amazing. Because the members of this body are called out of every kindred and every tongue and every people and every nation of the world. That's what the Bible tells us. In the book of Revelation, he says, one day we're going to be gathered around the throne and there are going to be those from every kindred and every tribe and every nation and every tongue, every people. We're going to be gathered around the throne and guess what we're going to do? We're going to be praising him, praising him for what he's done for us. It's a pretty amazing body. Do all the, the members of this body, do they look the same or speak the same language? No, of course not. Do we all have the same background or profession? Nope. So how are we one body then? If we all 
speak different languages, we have different backgrounds, we have different professions, we're from different nations, different languages. How are we one body? Well, we are made members of this one body when we are willing to come to Jesus Christ by faith. We are placed into his body, the body of Christ, only by faith. When we recognize that religion doesn't save, good works don't save, but Jesus Christ is the only one who can save us from our sins, and we by faith accept him as our Savior, then we are placed into his body. If you hold your place here in the book of Ephesians, turn back with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're not going to have time to read this entire passage here, but Paul tells the church of Corinth something very similar in verses 12 through the end of the chapter here. In verse number 12, he says, for as the body is one and hath many members and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free and have been all made to drink into one spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. And then if you jump over to verse number 27, he says, now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. How does someone become part of this one body? It's only through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, please understand, we're not talking about the church here. We're not talking about this local assembly. We're talking about the body of Jesus Christ. There is one body. That's why it doesn't matter where you go in the world. If you go down to Mexico or you go to Canada or you go to Africa or you go to Asia or you go to South America, any place in the world, and you find those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, guess what? They're part of the same body as you and I. It doesn't matter what language they speak. It doesn't matter what they look like or what their, their background is or their culture is. They're part of the same body, same body. We're one body. But just as you have one body with many members, this one body has many members, millions of members all over the world. And again, we can thank God for that. Thank God that salvation is not just for Americans. Thank God salvation is not just for Jews. Thank God salvation is not just for a certain group of people. No, it is for the world. We can thank God for that. And just as much as we are able to put our faith and trust in him, so anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ are part of this body. Think of this. If we are part of this one body of Jesus Christ, then does not Jesus Christ desire his body to be in unity? Does he not desire his body to be in unity? To work together. Now again, remember he's saying, remember as we looked in, in the first verses last week, we are to walk worthy for the Lord, but also we're walking worthy of the Lord because of the world. They're, they're watching to see if we're real. I cannot remember who, who said this, but I believe it was somebody who was interviewing um, Gandhi years ago. And they asked them, they said, what do you think about Christianity? They said, what do you think is the one downfall to Christianity? And this was his word, Christians. Christians. How sad. 
that a man does not even know God, but says the downfall to Christianity are those who claim the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because there's no unity. There's no unity in the body. Instead of there being unity, there's divisiveness. Instead of there being unity, and again, please understand, we're not talking about uniformity. We're not saying everybody has to look the same, dress the same, act the same, talk the same. No, no, that's not we're, But there ought to be a oneness in the body. We ought to think the same. Look, our thinking ought to be spiritual thinking, not earthly thinking, not worldly thinking. Our thinking ought to be, man, we have to understand that our time is short and we have a job to do while we're here on this earth, and that is to get the gospel to a lost and dying world. But instead, what happens? There is so much different thinking within the body. Instead of us getting the the right thought from the head, which is Jesus Christ, What do we do? We let the hand determine what we ought to be thinking. We let the foot determine what we ought to be thinking. We let the the fingers or the knees, we let the legs, we let everything else determine what we should be thinking instead of the head, which is Jesus Christ. Well, I'm just going to live my life the way I want to. Wait a minute. You're part of the body. You're part of his body. You don't get a choice of what you want to do. You've been placed into the body. He determines where you are and what you do. Not you and you're not you and I. He does. He determines that. He's the head. There is to be oneness. There is to be unity in this body. Again, think about it. The 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 greatest the greatest pitfall that we have in what the world thinks about Christians is how Christians act. Because his desire is for us to show Christ and to show the love of Christ to others and to be in oneness. But instead, when the body is divisive, guess what happens? Nothing. Nothing gets, nothing happens. Nothing gets accomplished. And so he says, look, there must be, there is one body. Is there unity within the body? Are you endeavoring to keep the unity in the body? Or are we the problem of the body? Is it we're more about me than we are about him? We're more concerned about the way I want to live instead of the way that he wants me to live. Look, if that's how we're living, then we are the problem with the body. We are the reason why there is not oneness and unity in the body. He says there's one body. He says there's one spirit, one spirit. There's only one spirit of God. Again, every member of his body receives the spirit. Remember, as we saw in 1 Corinthians, it is the spirit that places us into the body. When we accept Jesus Christ by faith, it is the spirit that places us into the body. And then we also, at the same time, receive God's spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit of God. Yes, of course, we know that he seals us. We know that he empowers us. Scripture is very clear on these things. But do you think the Spirit desires unity? Do you think the Spirit desires unity within the body? I think I would say yes to that. I believe the Spirit desires unity. So if you and I are saved and we have the Spirit... And the people around us are saved and have the Spirit, then what do you think He's leading us to do? 
If I'm saved and I have the Spirit of God and you're saved and you have the Spirit of God and the Spirit desires unity, what do you think the Spirit of God is going to lead us to do? Be in unity. The Spirit of God is going to lead us to be in unity. So would he, would he lead us to fight against one another? Would he lead us to bicker and quarrel and be jealous and be angry at one another? Is that what the Spirit is going to lead us to do? No, of course not. Remember, you have the same Holy Spirit that I have. You don't have a different Spirit of God than I have. If you're saved and I'm saved, we have the same Holy Spirit. So let me ask you, how is the same Holy Spirit living in you and the same Holy Spirit living in me, how is that same Holy Spirit not leading us to unity? How is it that churches split? How is it that the body is divided and yet everybody claims to be spiritual? Can I tell you something? There's something wrong. Because there's no way that the Spirit of God, the same Spirit of God living in one person and the same Spirit of God living in another person is going to cause those two people to fight against each other. Why would the Spirit of God, he is one Spirit, why would one Spirit of God fight against himself? He wouldn't. Which means if there are two believers who are fighting, it's not the Spirit they're not in unity with the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God would not lead them to fight against each other. The Spirit of God is not going to lead them to divisiveness and to, and to jealousy. No, that's not the Spirit of God. Can I tell you what it is? That's the Spirit of flesh. That's our flesh. Now, we, we can say, well, I, you, know, I've, I, you know, I've really prayed about this, and, you know, wait a minute, let's just call it what it is. We're fleshly. And instead of yielding to the Spirit and walking in the Spirit... We walk in the flesh, and then we try to blame the Spirit of God. Wait a minute. There is one Spirit. One Spirit, he says. You cannot have the Spirit of God and another person have the same Spirit of God, and there be fighting and divisiveness and dissension and quarreling. It cannot be because there's only one Spirit. The Spirit will not fight against himself and that's why again think about it praise God he gives us his spirit yes we have his spirit to empower us and and we have the sealing of the Holy Spirit but the spirit is there to lead us into unity as believers not in divisiveness he says one hope even as you are called in one hope of your calling what is our hope what is our hope? Look in the book of Titus, chapter 2. In Titus, chapter 2. Titus, chapter 2. Notice what he says in verse number 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world. So here's how a Christian is supposed to live. Here is the unity that we should be in. 
righteously, living soberly, uh, living godly in this present world. Why? What's our hope? Verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. He says, you want to know what your hope is, Christian? Your hope is not supposed to be the government. Your hope is not supposed to be the economy. Your hope is not supposed to be, well, my retirement. No, no, no. He says, our hope as a Christian, if we are part of this body and we have his spirit living in us, there is one hope for his calling, and that hope is the return of Jesus Christ. That's what we are looking forward to. That's what we are anticipating. That's where our confidence is, is in his return. And yet so often we get sidetracked. We think our hope is found in everything else. Yes, we are to live for him as long as we are here on earth. There's no doubt about that. That's what he just said. But our hope, our desire is to be with him. And we know that one day, 1 John 3 tells us that one day we shall be like him. We're going to be with him. We're going to be like him. That's what we're looking forward to. If that's what we have to look forward to, then why are we so concerned about here now? If we are looking forward to eternity, then why are we so concerned about everything that is taking place here? Now, please understand, I'm not saying that we're just supposed to live in some bubble. No, no, we we observe what's going on. In fact, when we observe what's going on, it helps us to realize that we should be living for him. We should be living righteously and godly in this present world. Why? Because we're trying to help others see Christ. We're trying to help others come to know Jesus as their savior. That's what our purpose is. But our hope is in the return of Jesus Christ. Hey, let me ask you something. When is Jesus Christ going to return? We don't know, do we? Is he going to return? Yes, he is. You say, well, how do you know that, preacher? Well, because he said he was going to return. He said he was going to come back. But here's the thing. He didn't tell us when. He didn't tell us when. Now, I know your kids are very different than my kids and how I was when I was a kid. But I can remember being left at home, and I remember my parents telling me to do some things when they were gone. They're like, we're going to be gone. Before we get back, I want you to have washed the dishes. I want you to have cut the grass. I want you to have taken out the trash and all these different things, right? Well, in our mind, we're thinking, we got plenty of time, right? There's plenty of time. I mean, they're going to be gone all day, right? So let's just do what we want. So what do we do? We get out the books and we read books or we play games and stuff. And then all of a sudden it dawns on us, wait a minute, mom and dad are supposed to be coming back soon and we haven't done anything that they told us to. So what happens? we start trying to rush around doing it, right? We're trying to rush around cutting the grass. We're trying to rush around doing the dishes. We're rushing around doing anything. And guess what usually happens? They come home right in the middle of us doing it, right? And here's what they always ask. Why'd you wait? Why'd you wait? Why didn't you get that done first? Why did we wait? Well, one, we decided we were going to do what we wanted to do. And two, we just thought we had all the time in the world until they pulled in the driveway. Once they pulled in the driveway, we realized 
we are busted because we didn't get it done. Imagine Jesus Christ says, I'm leaving you here. I'm going to come back, but I have a purpose for you. I have a job for you to do. I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I want you to live righteously, soberly, godly in this present world. I want you to live in unity and oneness so that the world can see there's something different so that they can come to know me. And we just say, ah, we got plenty of time. I mean, I mean, let's be honest, right? I mean, I've been preaching for 20-some years now. And for 20 years, I've been preaching that Jesus is going to return. Jesus is going to return. I mean, we've got plenty of time. It's probably going to be another 20 years before he returns. It's probably, you know, he may not even return in our lifetime. So let's just go ahead and enjoy life. Let's just live the way we want to live it. And we have no idea when he's going to return. And what do we end up doing? We end up wasting our life, not living for him. But one day, he will return. And when he returns, will he ask the question, why'd you wait? Why'd you wait? You've been saved for 10 years. You've been saved for 20 years. You've been saved for 30 years. You've been saved for 40 years. You've been saved for 50 years. You've been saved for 60 years. Why did you wait? There is, there is a hope here. There is a calling that we have to, to live for him so that others can know Christ because we know he's coming soon. Why did we wait? See, is there a unity in our calling? There needs to be a unity among believers to recognize that Jesus Christ is returning. And we have to get the gospel to a lost and dying world. One hope of our calling. Notice the fourth thing. One Lord. One Lord. Now, we've already seen that there is one Spirit, who, of course, is the third person of the Trinity, or of the Godhead. He also tells us there is one Lord. This is the second person of the Godhead. I also find it's very interesting that the Lord is mentioned right in the middle of these seven things. He's mentioned right in the middle of these seven. We've already seen that salvation can only come through him, but once we are saved, then as we look to him, his life is to become our life. As we are yielding to him and as we're looking to him, then his life is to become our life. He should be the center of our life and everything that revolves around it. He ought to be the focal point. He ought to be the center of everything that we do, of our life and how we live. It doesn't matter whether it's, whether it's in our families, in our marriages, Christ ought to be the focus of our marriage. Whether it's with our, our families and our children, Christ ought to be the focus. We ought to be teaching our children that Christ should be the most important thing in their life. Whether it's at our work, man, people at work ought to know that Jesus Christ is the most important thing where we work. In our neighborhood, they ought to know Christ is the most important one in our life. In, our, in the church, people should know Christ is the most important thing. I mean, he should be the focus and the center of everything that we do. And yet, for so many Christians, he is the last thing that we do. He is the last thing that we focus on. Oh, friend, he ought to be the first he ought to be the focus of everything that we focus on. He ought to be the focus of all that we do. Everything should, we, should revolve around him. Again, it's interesting. How can two believers claim to love the Lord, and yet they aren't able to walk in unity with each other? 
How can two believers say they both love the Lord, but yet they can't stand each other? May I say, friend, that's hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy. To be able to say both, both people love the Lord, but yet they cannot stand each other? Again, that's like the Spirit of God fighting against himself. That's like the Lord Jesus Christ fighting against himself. Lord, I love you, but I can't stand that person who you died for, who you gave your Holy Spirit to, who you saved, who's part of my body, part of the body of Christ. We're part of this body together, but I can't stand them. Wait a minute. Are we not part of one body? Are we not to be in unity? Again, he says we are to walk in unity. I wonder if we were to go to the people that you work with, I wonder how many of them know of people in the church. Oh, they've never met them by face. But I wonder if we were to go and ask them, how many people have you heard of in the church? And they begin to lift off, list off names. And the reason why is because you have no problem talking badly about the people in the church that you don't like. And you'll talk about them to the world. You'll talk about them to your friends. You'll talk about them to your coworkers at work. And what does that tell the world? You can't stand the body. Now, where is the unity in that? Is it any wonder why the world says, we want no part of Christianity? Is it any wonder why a man that does not know God could say the, the, the thing that is the downfall to Christianity are Christians themselves? Because there's no unity. We're not walking in unity, and the world sees it. And they say, if that's how it's going to be, why would I want to be a part of that? Why would I want to be a part of that? Because if this is what you're saying about everybody that's there, I wonder what you're going to say about me if I was to come. Now, please understand, I'm, I understand it's not the church. The church is not saving anybody. But we are trying to be the representative of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. And if we can't even get along with our own family, if we're going to talk badly about our own family and put our own family down, why would the world want to have anything to do with that? You see, he says there's one Lord. And the Lord ought to be the focus of our life. The Lord ought to be the one that our lives revolve around. Look, it shouldn't be around politics and sports and jobs and all these other different things. No, no, no. It ought to revolve around Jesus Christ. There is one Lord. One faith. One faith. The very reason that we have God's word is to reveal the divine standard of truth that we are to believe in. There are many faiths that are in the world, but there is only one faith. That is true. In fact, it is Jude that tells us that we, in, in Jude, I believe it's in verse number three, he says, We are to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. We're to earnestly contend for the faith. Why? Because the world is trying to destroy the faith. The world is trying to say, Hey, you don't have to believe in Jesus. You, you don't have to follow him. You can just live however you want to. There's many ways to God. No, friend, there's one faith. There's one way of salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me.
You say, well, that's, that's kind of being mean and hurtful. No, no, friend. We're not being mean and hurtful. We're trying to tell them how they can be saved. We're trying to tell them how they can know Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's not we're trying to be mean and hurtful. We're trying to show them, hey, in the Word of God, God has said there's one way, and that is through Him. There is one faith. And we are to contend for that faith. Why? Because the world is trying to destroy it. The, the, these, all these other religions that come in and try to bring what they say and try to teach what they want and they think a person can do. No, no. Religion and the world try to come up with all kinds of faiths, but when we come to God's word, we find there is only one faith. That's why we, we base, when we as Christians, we say the Bible is our final authority in all matters of faith and practice. The Bible, the Word of God, that's where we get what we believe. Not only what we believe, but then once we know what we believe, then we can act upon it. But it must come from the Word of God. You say, well, why do you think, why are you, why are you, so, why are you so stern? Why are you so strict that there's only one faith? Why can't all these other religions have what they want? Because, friend, they are lies. They're lies. Satan is trying to deceive them. He's trying to come up with all these different things to keep them from the truth. Look, I'm not saying this is the one faith because I made it up. No, I didn't make this up. God did. God is the one who said there is one faith. God is the one who said there is one way to him. God is the one who has revealed his truth to us. That's why we go to the word of God, not man's words. It's the word of God. One faith. And we have to contend for the faith, as Jude says. We have to defend it. We have to contend for it, fight for it, because the world is trying to destroy it. The world says, those of you that believe there's only one way, they're just, you, you just hate people. No, we don't hate people. We love people. That's why we're trying to tell them that there's only one way, and that's through Jesus. It's not through the church. It's not through a, a baptism or a church membership. No, it's through Jesus Christ. There's one faith. Are we holding to that one faith? Are we holding to what God has said? Or are we just bringing about anything and everything that the world says? There's one faith. There's one baptism. One baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is so important for a believer. Again, not only does the Spirit place us into the body, not only does He seal us until the day of redemption, but He also empowers us that we can live for Jesus. Look, it is impossible for you and I who are saved, it is impossible for us to be in unity with anybody else without the power of the Holy Spirit of God. We cannot be in unity in our flesh because our, our, our flesh is, is, is so strong and our flesh says, hey, they're not going to do it the way you want to do it and they're not going to dress the way you want to dress and they're not going to sing the way you want to sing and they're not going to look the way you want to look and they're not going to go where you want to go and they're going to do all these things different and so we're, there, we're, there's no unity there. But when we walk in the Spirit... When we walk in the Spirit of God, He empowers us to be able to live for Him. He empowers us to be able to put all, the, all those preferences aside and say, wait a minute, we want to think the right thing, and that is thinking eternally. That is thinking long-term. And we want to get and tell people about Jesus Christ. We want to do everything we can to reach people with the gospel. Can I tell you something? That brings unity. 
when we are thinking the same, our, our, our faith is the same, our hope is the same, and we understand that it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit of God that he empowers us to be able to live for him, but he also empowers us so that we can be able to be in unity one with another. Look, I, I love my brothers and my sister, and we're from the same family, right? We have the same parents, <laughs> but we don't see eye to eye on everything. I know, my brother's six foot three. Of course, we're not going to see eye to eye on everything. <laughs> but we don't see eye to eye on, on, on everything that, that we believe. But can I tell you something? There's a unity there. My brother might do things differently than I do, and we do. But you know what? There's a unity in our faith. There's a unity in the body, not just because we are family, blood family, but because we are family spiritually. We are part of the same body of believers. And his desire and their desire, my brothers and my sister, their desire is to reach people the gospel. You know what my desire is? I want to reach people the gospel. And so because we are in unity with the spiritual thinking, hey, you know what? The, these preferences and things can be pushed to the side because there's a unity in our purpose. There's a unity in trying to reach the gospel, people with the gospel. There needs to be a unity in the body. You see, there's one baptism. God gives us his spirit. We are placed into the body of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, and we are baptized by the Holy Spirit. He comes to live inside of us so that we can be able to live for Christ. Every day that we yield to him, we're able to grow in our walk with him. Every day that we yield to him, we're able to be in unity with the body. And he says, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Now he comes to the first person of the Godhead, the Father. I think it's interesting, in these seven things, he talks about the unity of the Trinity, of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all mentioned here. And now he comes to the Father. Notice he says he is the Father of all. Now again, please remember who he's writing to. He's writing to the church. He's not writing to the world. He's writing to believers. God is the father of all of those who have put their faith and trust in him. He is our father. That's why Jesus says when we pray, we can pray to our father. So if he is the father, then what are we? If he is the father, then what are we? We're his children. We're his children. If he is the father, then who's in charge? He is. If he is the father, then how should we walk? He says in unity. His desire as the father is that his children walk in unity. He is the father of all believers. That sonship only comes through Jesus he is absolute sovereign. He is above all. He is, he is the one that we look to. He is through all and in you all. He is everywhere. He is through us and indwelling us. He is in you. And so again, think with me, just as the Spirit of God is indwelling in us, just as the Son is living in us, the Father says He is in you all as well. Now please, if you don't get anything else out of this today, please get this. If you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, and you have the Son dwelling in you, and you have the Father dwelling in you, 
how can you not be in unity with the body? How can you not be in unity? The Father will never be against Himself, nor will He ever be against the Son and the Spirit. The Son will never be against Himself, nor will He ever be, ever be against the Father or the Spirit. The Spirit will never be against Himself, nor will He ever be against the Father and the Son. And He says, all three of them are indwelling us. And He says, I want you to walk in unity. I want you to walk in unity. If we do not walk in unity, it is only the fault of self. Because he has empowered us, he has commanded us as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have commanded us to walk in unity. So the question is, are we walking in unity? Are we walking in a way that the world is able to see Jesus Christ, not in a derogatory way to say, well, the problem with Christianity is the Christians. No, but to look at Christianity, to look at the body and say, man, I don't understand everything there is about these people, but there is something different. Man, they're just, they're just, they're just always talking about Jesus. They're, they're always trying to, to, tell, to, to witness to people about Jesus. They're, everything in their life is all about Jesus. And even though they're different, and yes, they have different backgrounds and different jobs and, and maybe different languages and different uh, 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 ethnicity and things like that, man, they're, they're just one. There's just a unity there that is not anywhere else in the world. That's what his desire is. His desire is that we would walk in unity. And this is why he says, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. There is one body and one spirit. There is one hope of your calling. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. One. Are you in oneness are you in unity with the body are you in unity with god the father the son the holy spirit are we in unity with them if we are not then friend may i ask why why are we not in unity? Why would we have uh, hatred for someone else? Why would we have discord? Why would we have uh, jealousy and anger and strife for another brother or sister who is part of the same body that we are part of, who have the same spirit of God that you and I have, who have the same Lord that you and I have, who have the same Father that you and I have? How could we not be in unity? There's only one reason. It's because we choose to walk in the flesh instead of yielding to God. And that is seen by the world. It's seen by the world. And that is what causes the world to turn away from Jesus Christ. Instead of living soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, instead we live selfishly, fleshly, temporal, instead of looking at eternity. He says, walk in unity. Walk in unity. 
oneness. I wonder with her heads bowed and her eyes closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking about. The body of Jesus Christ is to walk as a new man in this world. A new man in unity. Are we doing that? Are you walking in unity with the body? You say, well, I don't think this person likes me. No, 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 that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about whether they like you or whether they're in unity with you or not. No, no, I'm asking you, are you? Are you in unity? Look, they have to answer to God for themselves. You have to answer to God for you. He says there is one body. Are you in unity? Are you in unity with that body? One spirit? Are you in unity with the spirit of God? One faith? Are you in unity with the, the faith that we are to contend for? One Lord? Are you in unity with the Lord Jesus Christ? One God? Are you in unity with the Father? Again, how can we say we love the Lord? How can we say we love him when we are not in unity with those who are part of the same body as us. Friend, maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not even sure if I'm saved. I'm not even a part of that body. Friend, can I tell you, Jesus Christ gave his life so that you could be a part of that body. There is no greater body to be a part of than the body of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for your sins so that you could be a part of that body. And it's only by faith, by faith that you can be part of it. Christian, are we in unity? Are we showing a lost world that there is a unity among this body and helping them to come to know Jesus? Or are we simply walking in the flesh living for self. We don't care if there's unity or not. We're just going to do what we want to do. That's not what he desires. Walk worthy, he says. Walk worthy in oneness, in unity. Father, I pray that you'd bless the invitation. Lord, speak to our hearts. Help us to realize how important this is to walk in unity and oneness. Lord, how much more could be accomplished if we would just set our preferences and things aside and allow the Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father to live through us that we would be in unity with them and those around us who are part of this body. Lord, to look for that hope, looking for Jesus and living for him while we're here. Lord, help us with this. Lord, whatever, whatever might be in our flesh, whatever selfishness is there, I pray you'd help us to get rid of it, help us to put it to the side, recognize that it is sin before you. And Lord, may we desire to be in unity and oneness for the cause of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.